Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Tim Cockrell's back with us to discuss his recent sermon from Matthew chapter 7. And Tim and I were just talking before we go here to the microphones. Uh, we're recording during Thanksgiving week, so if you're listening here in a timely manner, happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening throughout the rest of the year, well, just happy, happy, and be happy. <laughs> uh, before we get to today's discussion, though, I want to give a big thank you to Luke Sheridan and John Davis. They were performing the hosting duties the past couple weeks during my absence. And if you haven't tuned into those discussions, I certainly recommend Luke's discussion with Trent Rogers and John's with his the most recent episode that uh, was recorded with Daniel Ackerman. A lot of great ground covered. And again, great job, men. We really appreciate you jumping in there. So, Tim, this week we turned the page, as it were, to chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel and as you pointed out, Jesus is is turning to a, a focus of attention on matters of an interpersonal nature, as opposed to maybe a more just introspective uh, for the for the reader. Right. Yeah. And those two are obviously connected. The 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 way that we worship the Lord and demonstrate devotion toward Him is going to have ripple effects in our relationships with others. So you mentioned early in your sermon what this passage is not saying, and uh, boy, we can tend to take scriptures that we like to say what we want them to say, and uh, but it, it's uh, what it's not saying about believers judging one another, and that brings up an important principle just globally as we study the scripture about how we study. We have to read any passage of scripture in the context of the rest of the Bible. Absolutely. That word context is so important, and, and of course, foundationally that's the the immediate context you know so we don't want to just cherry pick a specific verse out without understanding the rest of the context so philippians 4 13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me is a classic example of, <laughs> of the danger there but we want to look at it not just in its literary context but also its biblical context so where are we at in the progress of revelation but then what do other passages say about something because sometimes if you were to just read a particular passage in isolation you could very easily misunderstand it. Even this week as I'm preparing for this week's message is Jesus is telling us to, to ask and seek and knock, and he's going to give us what we ask for. If we just take that in isolation, we can easily twist prayer into something in which God is basically a, a cosmic slot machine, you know, that if you just keep pulling the handle, eventually you're going to get what you want. But when we understand it within the broader context, what scripture teaches about prayer and John and first John and other places, we realize that, Oh, it's when we ask in his will, when we align ourselves with his heart, that he will give us what we need, not always necessarily what we want. And so I think this is another example of that, that when we look at judging, we can see other places where we're actually told to judge. And so when we put those two things side by side, we realize, oh, there must be a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. And I think Jesus begins to give us some clues, even in the context, as to what that looks like. Right. And, and keeping on the theme of context, in, in the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, we're there now, but how does what Jesus taught in chapters 5 and 6 set us up for what he's going to teach us here in chapter 7? I think the key passage is in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, where he says, 
I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. In fact, I came to fulfill them. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. And then he goes on to describe the, you've heard it said, but I say to you, the, the kingdom righteousness, this kind of internal heart transformation that is required. And, and so I think this is one more evidence, expression of a transformed heart. And I think the thing that I really appreciate about it is as we look at one through six, he's putting a, a really high standard on our interpersonal relationships. And it leaves us kind of feeling the sense of inadequacy, of insufficiency. And then the very next thing he says is, so why don't you pray? Why don't you come to your heavenly father? Because he knows what you need. He knows you're not sufficient for this task. But as you approach him in dependence, he is going to give you the good gifts that you need in order to live this type of kingdom life. Tim, you mentioned a lot of things that we need to be careful about as we live among each other and as we seek to encourage one another. But so much of it seems just to come down to that the second of, of those two great commandments that we read in Matthew chapter 22, love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. You know, and even in chapter 7, verse 12 here, we're going to come to, mm -hmm. it's called golden rule, you right. know, that you do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And I think it's just a picture. He says, actually, this is the law and the prophets. It's, it's a summary of what the law has to say. And I think the reason for that is, you know, Jesus, when he gives the great commandment, he says that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then you will love your neighbor as yourself. It, it, one takes priority as a, as a prerequisite for the other. And so I think what he's pointing us to here is an expression of our gospel identity. That if we have a heart that has really been transformed by the gospel, we're not going to harbor bitterness we're not going to stand in sinful judgment toward others. We're not going to be looking for public praise or, or being hypocritical in the way that we're approaching things. But rather, we're going to be humble before the Lord. We're going to be gentle in our relationships. We're going to love others in the same way that God has loved us. And I think that's one of the reasons why God puts us in Christian community. Like, I can maybe put on my best behavior if I'm in isolation, when I've got to bump up against other people that think differently than I do and act differently than I do and frustrate and irritate me, well, that really is a, a spiritual lab in, in which I demonstrate to what extent my heart has been transformed by the grace of the gospel. Any kind of community is a sanctifying community if it's operating right, operating correctly, I should say. And whether, you know, we've talked about marriage, we've talked about mm -hmm. children, but living in community with others, it's just not easy. Absolutely. And you notice that? It's a mirror of our <laughs> selfishness. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're kind of faced with a crossroad in those moments. You either grow in greater humility or you become hardened in greater pride. There really isn't a lot of in-between there. You either say, I know I'm right and all these other people out here just are, are clueless or ignorant or frustrating. Or as you see your reflection in that mirror, you say, God, I need your help to become what I'm called to do. And it's only by his grace that we even, I think, have eyes to see that. Because as Jesus makes it clear here in the passage, naturally, we tend to be blind to those things in and of ourselves. So what, what you seem to be saying here is, uh, you know, the the normal cultural uh, uh, interpretation of this is, hey, you don't judge me, I won't judge you. But you're really saying, no, we do need to be helping each other. We do. We just have to judge ourselves first. And I think yeah. you know, the culture is going to say, well, Jesus is saying here, 
mind your own business <laughs> or you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. That's how most right. people tend to trans, you know, refer to what Jesus is saying. But instead, we judge ourselves first with, with a sense of, of deep awareness and transparency before the Lord that we recognize our sinful thoughts, our sinful motives, and then our sinful actions that flow from those things. And that then once we have an accurate perception of ourselves, then we are equipped and we are prepared to gently, lovingly, and carefully address sin in the lives of others as well. And the natural conclusion of that, the a false kind of uh, a false understanding of this is that, well, who's to say you're right and I'm wrong? It's right. a more it's a relativism, right? Yeah. And and that brings me to another point. There are some of us, and I would be one of these, who had been raised in context, and there are certain subcultures uh, in our in our greater culture in which we're taught that we should really, as you said, MYOB, mind your own business. What someone else does or says may not be right or good, but, but that's between them and God, and we need to let God deal with those situations. So how does that kind of counsel fit or not fit in here? I grew up that way. Mm -hmm. Just look, you don't need to get involved in that. Right. And maybe that's still the case in certain cases, but I'll get there maybe a little later. But. Sure. Well, and, and at its root, when we approach conflict, you know, differences of opinion in general, there are one of two extremes that people tend toward. One is, is attacking, aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's with raised voices or harsh words or something along those lines. That would be more the, the side of the harsh critic in this case. But then the other is conflict avoidance. You know, that you just say, hey, we're going to sweep it under the rug. We're going to pretend like nothing's wrong. And this is more the, the pattern of passivity. And both of those poles of the spectrum come with their own set of dangers. And so often it's a, almost a feigned humility. Well, it's it's not my business to be able to tell someone that they're right or wrong. Well, if I was saw that there was a bridge out and I was at the top of a hill and someone was coming, I wouldn't just be like, well, it's not, not any of my business. Or, or if I knew that, that something was poisoned, let's say that someone was about to eat, I wouldn't say, well, it would be really unloving for me to tell them that that would be harmful for them. No, there are certain objective things that we are compelled to uh, to proclaim and to share. And that's the essence of evangelism, that we move toward others not because we are judging them or hating them or unloving toward them, but rather because we recognize that apart from some intervention, they're on their way to a Christless eternity. Right. Unless someone loves them enough to make them make it clear that they're lost, they're never going to place their faith in Christ. And so we have to just hold those two poles, if you will, in tension to where we don't want to become a, a condemning critic, but we don't want to walk a path of passivity either. Hmm. And, and there, there's a lot of one another language without the mm -hmm. one another's here. I mean, we're talking about if a brother offends you or mm -hmm. this type of thing in, in this kind of language. And if this is a kind of a kingdom, uh, you know, kingdom uh, uh, language and kingdom culture, if this is true, how applicable is it to the greater culture? It sounds like this is, you know, it's part and parcel to the same, same discussions. I think so. I think, you know, it's interesting. Many times when you read secular literature and they come to these conclusions about what really works well, you trace it back and say, hmm, that sounds really biblical. 
you know, in a variety of different ways. And, and I mean, there's a few principles here that I think are just self-evident, mm-hmm. you know, and the first is recognizing that we have to start with ourselves. We have to look at how am I contributing to this conflict? What assumptions am I bringing this to the table? What motives am I inferring about this person? Because we're all adding interpretation to our observations. And so if we don't have some amount of self-reflection initially, we're more likely to build bunkers rather than bridges. Connected to that then, we also have to say, I'm also fallible. I might have misperceived this. I maybe only have fragmentary information and I don't have the whole picture. So rather than going towards someone with, with a hammer, you know, to to pound them into to shape the way we think they need to be, we go with with a, a, a curiosity that mm-hmm. says, help me to understand what happened or why you responded this way or what did you mean when you said this or that thing? It's more much more open posture that invites dialogue rather than than frustration or friction. I think the final thing then would just be that there's a priority on relationship here. Mm. So many times in my own life, at least when there's a difference of opinion, I end up putting being right ahead of being in right relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I want to win instead of, I want to be restored in this relationship. And people know if they're moving towards you just, or if you're moving toward them just to kind of put them in their place or to prove that you were right or whether you genuinely care about their well-being. And it's going to be evident in your tone. It's going to be evident in even your eagerness to address those things. And so I think that applies not just in the church, but beyond the church as well. And I'm guessing you might say too, Tim, that there are times when you know it's not right for you to be the one or me mm. to be the one. Uh, what do we do in those cases where we see we see matters that that maybe even obviously need to be addressed, um, is there a time for, for me to step back and not be the one to address it or you or, or whoever it might be? Right. I, I think there is. And I think we have to keep in mind that the central goal is that we want to approach someone in the way that has the the best chance of, right. of seeing their heart change. And most of the time that's going to happen in the context of relationships. So if I see someone who's a complete stranger mm-hmm. doing something that I think, uh, I'm not sure that's the wisest thing, or I have a concern about this or that, maybe it's the way they're speaking to their child or something like that. If I don't know them at all, it probably is not going to be very effective for me to just walk up and have the first communication that I have to be some form of correction. I think we also have to recognize that sometimes there's, there's certain dynamics that mean that someone else might be better suited. One of the ways, ones that's obvious, I was talking to somebody after church on Sunday. I mean, let's just say there's someone that walks into church that's a a lady that's dressed immodestly. Mm -hmm. Well, that probably is something that needs to be addressed, but it's going to be much more effective to have a lady come alongside of her to talk about that rather than for one of our men to go up and say, hey, I noticed you were dressed provocatively and got my mind thinking in a particular way. I think that that's immodest. That that wouldn't be loving in the same way. And then I think we also have to recognize sometimes there's a, a brokenness in relationship. Hmm. Maybe there's tensions or, or past hurts or things like that that mean if I were to try to address something, it would be viewed only through that lens. It doesn't mean that there's never a place to do that, but it may be that someone else would be better suited 
to speak in a way that the other person would be ready to hear from them. Well, and just a very simple relational dynamic that that I've experienced, and I'm sure you've experienced it too, and that is uh, in the context of children. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's times when I say, Sandy, we have to deal with this, mm-hmm. and, and that we probably doesn't include me, <laughs> at least on the front line. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and to, to your point about just having the, you know, what's the goal and who's the best person to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Well, Tim, we, uh, we've introduced Chapter 7 here with this discussion and this sermon from this past Sunday. Where do we go from here? Yeah, so next week we're going to be in Chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, where Jesus is just with constant repetition says, ask and seek and knock, yeah. because when you ask, it'll be given. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open to you. And, and again, I think he recognizes that what he's set up to this point is exposing our insufficiency and our inadequacy. And so he's inviting us to pray. And so this Sunday, we're specifically looking at why we should pray. So if the Lord's Prayer is kind of a model of how we should pray, Jesus is is inciting us to pray. He's inviting us to come to him as a father who knows what we need, who gives good gifts, and who is attentive and generous in his heart toward us. And then the uh, the schedule here, where I know we're going to be entering an Advent season, and uh, but uh, the schedule for the rest of our study in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, in Correct. and 7. Where are we going here as far as here in the next few weeks? Yep. So we'll do a couple more weeks after that. So on December the 3rd, we're going to be covering would be Matthew 7, 13 through I think 23. Um, that's looking kind of at false teachers, specifically the tree and its fruits, the wide and narrow way. Uh, even those that would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he says, I never knew you. And really some humbling things there. And then we finally conclude in uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, I believe it is, uh, the wise and foolish builders. That really kind of wraps up everything that Jesus has been saying. That is, how are you going to respond to what you've heard? Because you can respond in this way that's going to lead to destruction, or you can respond in this way that's going to lead to, to flourishing. But ultimately, it has to do with how you receive and respond to the invitation that Jesus is giving. Super, super. Want to t- I'm going to diverge here and hit you cold with a couple of things. We Great. mentioned here early on that uh, we're in Thanksgiving season and uh, certainly rolling into the Advent and looking forward to Christmas. Uh, what are some things that Tim Cockrell or maybe the Cockrell family are thankful for this season? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to start with one that's relatively general, but I'll give some specifics there. I'm just thankful for God's faithfulness. You know, our family arrived here almost two years ago with a lot of questions as far as just what that transition was going to mean for our family, where we're going to live, what was that going to mean for our kids? You know, some of them were teenagers and uh, arriving in a new school and making new friends and all those types of things. And God has just been so faithful to provide beyond what we could have asked or or imagined in all of those different ways. And, And I think I am prone to be forgetful of God's faithfulness. And when I lose sight of God's faithfulness, it affects my faith for in him in the future. But the more I reflect on those things and even set up, you know, the Israelites used to set up those kind of memorial stones say, right. remember when God did this? And those were to fuel then their faith for the future, that they remembered the way that God intervened. And so just broadly speaking, the home that he's provided, the friends that he's blessed us with, the community that he's given us, And then I think the second thing I would say is I'm just very thankful for our our church family, broadly speaking, 
for the leaders I get to serve alongside of, the, the staff and, and people that are serving in so many, many different ways, the community that, that has been developed. And I would include that, you know, my, my wife, my kids, you know, the, the people that God has put around me and the, the encouragement, the generosity, the grace that they demonstrate even in the, you know, on my best days and, and on my worst days as well. Great. Well, thanks for sharing so much. And again, thanks for j- jumping back into the seat. That's been about, what, about three weeks ago that yeah, we I met. So. And uh, so very good to have you back. Thanks, Bart. Great. Well, we invite you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next time. We will be planning to continue our study of God's Word in Matthew chapter 7. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.